Well, happy birthday. It's, we'll be celebrating um, Buddha's birthday today at that um, altar. And um, I, I just heard that the baby Buddha is in the hospital, but is expected to be released in time for our ceremony. So um, he provisionally will say he will be at that altar. And <clears throat> when you see him, he will be in this posture. You probably can't see this arm because I have too much sleeve. But uh, anyway, one finger pointing to the sky and one finger pointing to the earth. And um, the reason that the baby Buddha takes this gesture is because um, in the story of the Buddha's birth, it's said that uh, when the Buddha was born, at, you know, just freshly born, um, he took seven steps and uh, declared, I alone on heaven and earth am the world honored one. Uh, then, according to the story, apparently after that miraculous display, uh, he began to act appropriately for his age and uh, <clears throat> became a baby and grew up and, you know, the rest of his life story started to unfold. Um, but uh, as with, uh, well, as with the Buddha, uh, let's say, um, his life begins uh, with a miracle. And uh, in for the people of the time of his birth, or, or let's say the story about his birth, uh, I don't think that uh, I'll, I think the the birth and this and this gesture and those words uh, would have been seen <clears throat> as uh, auspicious and miraculous, but not out of the realm of possibility, uh, because uh, you know this the the story, uh, the life of the Buddha and its and its uh, description. Um, came up in a more trusting age, a more, uh, you could say, incredulous age. Uh, so, so, that, so those stories of miracles would have been you know, more readily accepted and, and taken in and, and uh, uh, what, you know, reverenced. <clears throat> now in our age, this time of the world, um, we uh, treat such stories with a great deal, we could, with a great deal of skepticism, and we probably, uh, we're, we live in a much less trusting age, a uh, much more skeptical age, age of science and so forth, uh, and we would, we naturally think, well, such a story is just an accretion, uh, just an addition that was, you know, layered on uh, you know, after 
in, you know, somehow through the ages. But whether, anyway, whatever we think about, you know, this gesture and those words, I think that the, uh, the words puzzle us more than anything. Um, I alone am on heaven and earth am the world-honored one. Uh, we could wonder why uh, the great exponent of interdependent origination would utter such seemingly arrogant words, such seemingly self-serving words. Um, but I don't think we should understand those words that way. Uh, I think it's important that we not understand those words that way. And uh, rather that we understand uh, his pointing at the earth and his pointing, excuse me, the sky and, and, and the earth as um, this kind of all-inclusive gesture uh, and uh, that, that um, uh, essentially saying that um, who, who is speaking here is not this, you know, incarnation, uh, not this, you know, this meat body, as we say sometimes, um, but this is, this is the words of, this is the words of heaven and earth, and this is the principle of great awakening. This is the principle of bodhi, of, of uh, great enlightenment, uh, speaking, uh, through the Buddha. He's Buddha the, the, the baby Buddha is, is merely a representative. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> the reason he's capable of spe- speaking such words is, is that, <clears throat> again, according to the, the story of the life of the Buddha, he had many previous births. And, and uh, many previous lives, and in those lives he he was he he was myriad times a great sage. So when he came on the stage, as it were, in his in his new incarnation, he he the, the energy the energy of his previous lives carried over for a bit, right? Carried over a bit, and he announced who he was um, based on. Uh, all those previous lives as a as a great sage uh, and uh, <clears throat> and bodhisattva bodhisattva in his previous lives he was a bodhisattva um, <clears throat> so uh, yeah so I think it's important to um, understand that he is speaking uh, for you know the, this this all inclusive vision of awakening as a, as a as a elemental force that's in our world that that is present in our world and uh, it includes it's it's a it's it's a power or a, a a an expression that includes everything that leaves that that leaves nothing or no one out, and uh, it's a it's a vision it's a vision for us, 
of a boundless and boundaryless kind of awareness that is that that we participate in that it is you know this is something that we mm, participate in and we become <clears throat> we become uh, in tune with uh, we become close to in you know our zazen practice uh, so our zazen practice is 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 bringing this this force that's present you know all around in heaven and earth it's it's acknowledging that force and it's bringing it to the fore in our own lives in our own consciousness bringing it to the fore uh, it's always there in the background you know this is our understanding this 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 kind of a all-inclusive awareness boundless boundaryless awareness is always here but we it's it's not it's not always to the fore it's 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 uh, uh, sometimes hidden and concealed uh, by um, we could say <laughs> our habits you know our habits uh, which uh, uh, are uh, to be uh, rather self-centered rather uh, thinking that um, you know the the uh, emotions and productions of, of of this mind and body, um, uh, such as um, arrogance or uh, pride or um, avarice or animosity or anxiety or fear, uh, these emotions that we are subject to uh, can often seem to be you know, more in in the foreground of our awareness. Um, so it does seem that we need to undertake some kind of um, practice uh, to um, bring to to bring forth to call forth to call forth um, this more comprehensive and compassionate way of being to call forth the spirit of we call it Anyatara Samyak Sambodhi unsurpassed penetrating and perfect enlightenment to call forth that spirit we it's it's a good idea for us to do some some practice uh, and, and and call forth um, the spirit of awakening, uh, which brings me to another point um, that uh, together with Larry San, uh, I've been recently taking a class online with uh, the great Zen master. Tenshin Reb Anderson, and uh, he has been uh, is the theme of this class that he's been offering is on um, 
or what we call uh, original nature or uh, Buddha nature. Uh, and the proposal that Reb has made in this class is that um, sentient beings like us and uh, and the Buddhas, if you want to think, and the principle of awakening are not two, not two, not dual. They are non-dual, not in the least bit separate. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, just in this last class, uh, Tension Anderson gave a gave a uh, instruction, which is a common instruction that we hear. Uh, that the first step toward realizing um, Buddha nature, um, original nature, is to uh, sit uh, with ourselves uh, just as we find ourselves, just as we are. So whatever state, whatever state comes up in sitting meditation uh, without um, exception, uh, we just um, notice it, uh, we just uh, experience it, and for as long as it's present, and we don't do anything about it. We don't do a single thing about it. Whatever is coming, we don't respond. We don't, well, we respond. We do respond. It's not to say we don't respond. But uh, we just let whatever is coming come. And our response is just, is, is just to be with whatever is coming. Just let whatever is coming uh, so we say sometimes um, in zazen, don't move or disturb a particle of dust. So dust, you know, is a code word in Chinese Buddhism for, you know, defilements. Defilements for, you know, all, you know, those emotions of... Uh, you know, greed, hate, and delusion, and their subsets uh, that we can experience. So uh, we sit without moving any of those particles of dust, any of those defilements. Whatever comes, we notice that we, you know, we have um, greed, thoughts of greed, thoughts of animosity, thoughts of uh, confusion, um, anxiety, fear, um, animosity. Whatever comes, just don't move a particle of dust. The particles of dust will move. <laughs> they will move. You just don't move them. 
You don't mess around with them. And that's that's the first step, according to Tension Anderson. So uh, Rev was saying in this last class that we heard that um, that our sitting is a a call, a or he said a stimulus, a stimulus to Buddha. Our sitting is a call or a stimulus to Buddha. It's a, it's a, uh, and and it's it's a, it's a call, you know, to great awakening. That's what our sitting is. And uh, I resonate with that teaching very much. And it reminded me of a of a, a teaching that I heard some time ago. Uh, at Green Gulch Farm, there was a there was a uh, a <clears throat> there was a workshop uh, with a scholar, a Buddhist scholar named Robert Scharf, and uh, he he wrote he's written he's a professor at UC uh, UC Berkeley, and <clears throat> he's written a number of books on Buddhism, and um, uh, there's a book called uh, Coming to Terms with Chinese Buddhism that I. And I, I haven't read the whole thing, but I read a lot of it. And, and anyway, he gave it. He gave a workshop at Green Gulch Farm, and he talked about his that book. And he talked about this uh, <clears throat> this term from Chinese Buddhism, ancient Chinese Buddhism, uh, that's translated sympathetic resonance. Sympathetic resonance. And where. Um, <clears throat> And, and the in the sort of um, basis for that um, that teaching of sympathetic resonance is the it comes from the idea of, uh, of um, musical instruments that if you have two uh, stringed instruments in proper tune in a room and you play the a string on one of uh, the a string on the other instrument will vibrate in resonance in sympathetic resonance uh, with that string, uh, because they're on the same frequency. So this is this is this is a, a kind of a wonderful analogy, right? And so this is a wonderful analogy to us and Buddhas. This is the proposal of being non-dual with Buddhas that we actually are on the same frequency as Buddhas, and we and when we when we call. However, we call to Buddhas. Uh, they respond. They resonate with us, and we resonate with them. And that's that's the theory. So I looked at this book. I thought oh, I should look at that book again. And uh, <clears throat> this is what um, an ancient uh, one of the ancient Chinese scholar monks. I don't know. He's <laughs> in the in the book that he's called an exegete. You're an academic, you know what that word means. I'm a teacher. Oh, <laughs> anyway, it means like, uh, you know, scholar, um, a scholar, someone who studies a particular, you know, usually it seems like a narrow a narrow subject matter, you know, something really, you know, narrow. But anyway, this is a quote from this fellow. Um, stimulus response, so, you know, this is another way of saying this word, sympathetic resonance 
Stimulus response is the great tenet of the Buddha Dharma, the essential teaching of the many sutras. To stimulate means to bring or summon forth. To respond means to go forth and meet in welcome. As all sentient beings possess the seeds of goodness, they may induce the Buddhas to descend and make shape in front of them, and the Buddhas will meet them in welcome. This is this is the, the proposal. This is the proposal. And, you know, we do here, uh, we do a lot of, or a fair amount of sitting, of course, and we do ceremonies, and which are also called rituals. And, you know, the point of ritual practice, and let me make sure I make, make this point, is that uh, this is a ritual practice. This is a ceremony. And so is our, you know, bowing at the mat. And so is making offerings. And so is our chanting. And so is bathing the recuperating baby Buddha. (laughs) Today, And the point of all these rituals is to send out a call, to send out a call to great awakening. And I think if we understand our rituals this way, uh, we have the right, we have the right spirit for doing our, our rituals. That we're just, we're making a call to Buddhas. And there's a principle alive in this world called sympathetic resonance. And Buddhas, something, great awakening, that extends throughout heaven and earth, will respond. And, uh, (laughs) I almost say it, I guarantee it. No. (laughs) But anyway, I really think if you sincerely adopt this practice, uh, that you will see the truth of this principle. I, I, I have, I, I think anybody who um, sincerely practices this Buddha way will see the response. Will see the response of great awakening in their body and mind. You will see it. You will feel it. You will be grateful for it, you know. And uh, and from that gratitude, you know, you also want to, you know, will want to give that great awakening back to the world in your daily life, which is also a ritual. Your daily life, that's our understanding in Zen that your daily life is also a ritual. It's also a call uh, to great awakening. So, uh, I don't want to overdo it. I think I'm right on time.
this was to be a short talk, and it has been, and uh, I think uh, we can also understand baby Buddha there, who was there a long time ago, who's not there right now, still recovering, <laughs> but, but we're, we're, we're promised that he's going to get out of the hospital just in time for our ceremony. I've been promised by no, a person of no less stature than my wife <laughs> that it will be there <laughs> for the ceremony. But he's still getting some last-minute, um, right? He's getting some last-minute care. You know, it takes a while to get released from the hospital. You have to check all the boxes and so forth. And But we're sure he's going to get out by 10, <laughs> 10 to 10 to 12. Uh, anyway, now I've gone, gone too far with my joke, but um, in any case, uh, do you have any questions very quickly? Could you repeat the quote? Oh, the, from the, from the yeah. Chinese scholar? Oh, oh, yeah. I alone on heaven and earth am the world honored one. Yes, Perry. Could you repeat um, attention to Rev. Anderson's kind of thesis of this, this not what's of not Buddha true. nature? Mm-hmm. Uh, that Buddhas, this is really easy, Buddhas and sentient beings are not two. Thank you. How did Buddha, baby Buddha injure? Um, he had a fall. <laughs> he had a fall, you know, as he... He's getting old. I don't know. You know, he had a fall, and uh, his finger that was pointing to the to the, to the heaven uh, got injured. Yeah. But um, but he's getting excellent care. I'm, I'm t- he's really getting excellent care up until like ten o'clock last night. He was getting care, and this morning he's been getting care. And I, I, I have, I'm assured that he is just going to be fit as a fiddle uh, at 10 minutes to dwell. <laughs> yes? Could you also repeat the first steps, the original? The first step uh, to um, realizing uh, your original nature is, is to... Um, uh, be with yourself just as you are. It is to practice the teaching of suchness. Things as they are. So whatever is, you know, whatever phenomena are arising, uh, just to be with them without trying to, without comment, or if you comment, then notice that you comment. It's okay. Comment away if you want to, but then notice you comment. You you you, you know if you do if you for instance you say, oh I'm so just dis- I'm in zazen but I'm so distracted, I'm not a good meditator. Uh, then okay you went that far, and then you stop and you say. 
uh, there, there I am. Um, see the the real teaching, <laughs> the real teaching is, or, or let's say the first step is to be non-dual with yourself. That's the first step. Stop the war, as Jack Cornfield memorably said. So, you know, the, the self-attacks, the self-criticism, this is something I had to deal with, I still deal with, but uh, it was very strong in me at the beginning of my practice. So I had a lot of turning toward myself with critically and, um, you know, self-hatred manifesting. And it took a long time to even realize that that was the the condition that I was in. Uh, When I realized that that condition, uh, that was helpful. Um, And so it was part of the process of learning to be non-dual with myself, to not turn toward myself with um, anger or hatred, uh, self-criticism, with yeah, not being okay. You know. So that's the first step. Be non. First, be non-dual with yourself. Then be realize non-duality with Buddha. And, of course, realizing non-duality with Buddha helps you be non-dual with yourself. So these two work together, those two work together. Is there time for a quick follow-up question? Yes. What's the relationship between suchness and thusness? Oh, perfect. (laughs) We just, I just, I just, I just, gave a great secret teaching about this, but it's, it's not my secret. It was, this was a teaching that I heard from Jay Garfield, who heard it from the Dalai Lama, who heard it from some 14th century Tibetan teacher, exegete probably. Um, and uh, this is what he said. He said, um, suchness is emptiness seen from the standpoint of the subject. Thusness is emptiness seen from the standpoint of object, from the object. So they're really the same thing, like two sides of a coin type of analogy would be appropriate. But this is, when when I heard that teaching, and I told that teaching to Mio, he said, this is our guiding teacher. He says, I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> it's a wonderful teaching, and it did clear that up for me a, a little bit. Um, so I don't know that we have to parse that in our practice, that we have to sit, you know, you know, think, is, is this, is this um, feeling of selflessness coming from the subject, or is, it, or is it coming from the object? I don't know. I don't think it's important to, to parse that. But it's a it's a quite um, wonderful definition um, that uh, that some 14th century scholar gave that uh, Dalai Lama borrowed that that then he gave to Jay Garfield and Jar- Jay Garfield gave it to me online. <laughs> Suchness is emptiness seen from the side of the subject. 
Thusness is emptiness seen from the side of the object. <laughs>